A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Lisa Tannen LaFontaine, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to your weekly tennis podcast. Thank you to Lisa Tannen Lafontaine, who simply must be a character from Chicago or Cabaret or some sort of glamorous uh, musical along those lines with a name like that. Thank you, Lisa, for introducing this very special podcast because, yes, David Law is still on holiday. Uh, he claims uh, his flight scheduled for yesterday was cancelled and had to make a very apologetic phone call to his children's school this morning. Although actual evidence that uh, the, the flights were cancelled is yet to be produced. Anyway, David's holiday has been extended and we thought we can't we can't have the listeners with an empty David Law seat for another week. So... We have filled that seat, folks, and we have filled it pretty well, we think, with a 10 time. Pam, can you confirm for me? It's Pam Shriver, folks. Pam, please confirm for me that Wikipedia is right and you are indeed a 10-time WTA Finals doubles champion. I believe that's correct. Thanks to my lefty partner, Martina Navratilova. It was the, it was the one tournament, Madison Square Garden, indoors, where we felt pretty unbeatable. Ten times, Matt. Yeah, I haven't won anything <laughs> once, let alone ten times. I know, we're in esteemed company, especially in this week of all weeks. Yeah, exactly, because, of course, we're we're right on the eve now of the WTA finals in Fort Worth, Pam, where you've got a, a group named after you. I don't know what's taken them so long to name a group after you with, with 10 titles, but you, you finally achieved that honour. Um, and yeah, it all kicks off in earnest. Uh, we're all in different time zones here, folks. Pam, you're on the West Coast of the United States. You're going to be heading into the Tennis Channel shortly. Uh, Paris gets underway shortly. Uh, we've got Fort Worth getting underway this evening, UK time. What will it be, Pam? Sort of early afternoon, US time. Um, it is all suddenly happening. We're going to start in Fort Worth, I think, where the draws have been done. We'll talk about the doubles in a moment, but we'll start with the singles. We've got two groups, the Tracy Austin group and the Nancy Ritchie group. Drawn into the Tracy Austin group, it's Iga Svantec, Coco Goff, Caroline Garcia and Daria Kazakina. And in the Nancy Ritchie group, we have Ange Jabeur, Jessica Pagula, Maria Sakkari, 
and Arena Sabalenka. And it will be the match between Pagula and Sakari that kicks things off for us this evening. What did we make of uh, not just the draw, but the, the iconic photo uh, that, that, they, uh, that they always do at the same time as the draw? It was a rather more sort of casual vibe, wasn't it, this time around for the iconic photo? And in terms of the draw, Matt, I guess it was, there's one name everybody wants to avoid. And if you're in Iga Shontek's group, that's a bad draw. And if you're not in Iga Shontek's group, that's a better draw. Is that too simplistic? I guess that's that's probably right. Although I was actually thinking before the draw was made, maybe this is a rare occasion where Jessica Pagula wants to draw Iga Sviantec, perhaps because she would be more vulnerable in the group stages and then you would be guaranteed to avoid her in the semi-finals. But such as Jessica Pagula's luck with these draws, she actually hasn't got Iga Sviantec for once. She's landed in the other group, as you said. But yeah, it, it really is all eyes on... Sviantek, isn't it? I was looking at her record versus the field in the WTA finals this year, and she is 19 and 1 against them. That is 3 and 0 against Goff, 4 and 0 against Pagula, 2 and 0 against Jabur, 4 and 0 against Kasatkina, 4 and 0 against Sabalenka, 2 and 0 against Sakari, and then 0 and 1 against Caroline Garcia, who of course beat her in Poland earlier in the summer. So that there'll be a rematch of that in the group stages, but very different conditions. Sviantek's only lost one match in the US all year, which was to Madison Keys in Cincinnati. Otherwise, she won the Sunshine Double, the US Open, San Diego. She's just completely dominated her opponents. So I think, obviously, she is the standout player of the year. She's the standout player of the tournament. But I am fascinated to see if anyone can get the better of her over the next week that's the big story for me what are these sorts of conditions Pam what I do I'm assuming you've you visited those parts tell me about Fort Worth in uh, in late October early November well one of the great stops on the tour during my era was in Dallas which is just about 40 minutes uh, to the east of Fort Worth it's a very very um, active tennis community at all levels great college tennis great history of pro tennis with WCT and Lamar Hunt pretty much using uh, Dallas as their base um, you know there's a lot of love of the game and even with two months notice I think Fort Worth's going to show up and it's going to be a, a really well-celebrated event. I don't know if it'll hit the energy of Guadalajara last year, but we'll see. Um, but I think from looking at some videos and a really important thing to, to recognize is how indoor tennis can be so different from outdoor tennis. I actually witnessed in person Sviantec winning San Diego. Um, she played an unbelievable final set, six love against Bekic, beat Pagula in three sets. So it wasn't all clear sailing and she's had a couple of weeks now to recover, but the low bounce is something I'm going to look for, especially, you know, tonight to get a better feel. Um, but it, sometimes an indoor court can be a little bit dead and that brings in the drop shots more are going to be really effective. And maybe Shviantek's forehand isn't going to have the same force and bounce off the court. I saw Arena Sabalenka mention the low bounce and she said she felt like they were like Wimbledon courts, which I just thought must be must just be another dagger to Elena Rybakina's heart. That uh, she's she's of course not at these 
championships because there were no points at Wimbledon and now they've set up the court where maybe conditions that she would have thrived in. Sviantec or the field, folks? Sviantec, Iga Sviantec or the seven other best players in the world this year? Who are you taking? I'll go for the field. I'll go for the field. I think there's been a history at the year-ending championships of outside winners. Um, I don't think these playing conditions are going to be uh, as suitable to Sviantec as, as almost every other surface where she's won this year. Obviously, she went into Wimbledon thinking that was probably going to be where the streak ended, and it did. Um, so I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the field. I think the field should be pretty relaxed, actually. And they get to play three matches uh, in the round-robin stage, so they'll be matched, they'll be ready to go, and it's all on the line. Any standouts within that field, Pam, in terms of a, a second second favourite? Or is it really... I mean, to me, it feels sort of conditions notwithstanding. We'll know more about that once we see those first matches later on this evening. But conditions notwithstanding, eager to take a side, it feels pretty even and open to, yeah. to me. I think it's almost co-number two favourites. Um, maybe you put uh, Kasekina and Sabalenka, maybe... And, and Sakari, I would put Jabur, uh, Pagula, Garcia, if she hits it again, although she's had a change in the coaching position. But if she can take the – she's built for this court, I feel like, uh, Garcia. And then Coco Goff. Um, I think Coco being – to your point, Catherine, I think Coco probably prefers to be in Sviantec's group. So uh, a lot of players at co-number two favorite um, – I, I think the Jabour game, I think she'll like the lower bounce on her ground strokes and she'll appreciate the fact her drop shot's going to mean a lot more. But she hasn't played. She's the one that has had the longest break. So we'll we'll see how she transitions. But again, in round robin, you have room for error. Can I ask you, Pam, about this dynamic that we've got, which I think is another really interesting storyline of this tournament with Pagula and Goff obviously playing the singles, but also teaming up in doubles, that is something that you would have experienced, you know, playing against Martina, but also competing with her at the same tournament. I'm I'm just fascinated in the dynamics of that. What are what insights can you give us into how, how challenging that is for these players, I suppose? Well, when Martina and I were doing this, playing um, you know, both singles and doubles, it was actually a knockout format. Mm. Um, it wasn't the round robin. So the round robin is actually a lot harder because you know you're going to play for sure six matches. Now, they have extended it to eight day. When I was originally asked to work for Tennis Channel, it was a seven it was a seven day commitment. And then they extended it to a Monday night final. So I think that helps. Um, I like that they've given the older doubles partner, Pagula, the opportunity to play two matches on the very first day. That was always one of my pet peeves when Martina and I were, you know, late in stages, particularly Martina. They, I always felt like the scheduling should really favor players who are most likely to be in two events late in the event. And I, I like what they've done with the schedule. That was a, a brilliant question, Matt, although you have you you dodged answering my original <laughs> question. And I realize I have stitched you up rather by giving Pam the opportunity to answer that first because now... I can't disagree with Pam Shriver, can I? Exactly, you can't disagree with Pam Shriver. But, I mean, you can if you'd like to. Come on, you can. (laughs) It's one of those where I don't think it's 
Sviontek over the field. Like, I think it was at Roland Garros. I was so confident that she was going to win that tournament. But if I had to pick one individual player to win, then I think Sviontek is the most likely. If that is enough of an answer and also a bit of a cop-out for you. But, but you'd, you'd, take, you'd go with Pam and take the yeah, field. Yeah, I think I would. Yeah. yeah, which does make it more interesting, doesn't it? And Pam, you mentioned there about Caroline Garcia having had this change of coach. That, that sounds like it's really not ideal preparation for her. It sounds like she's been taken by surprise there. I saw some quotes in, in L'Equipe today that she's, she said that the whole situation's a bit bizarre. She's brought in her coach from the end of last season just to help her at this tournament. But yeah, Bertrand Perret, who's been really credited with really helping Garcia this year and simplifying that game and getting her to play so well he's gone and Garcia yeah. hasn't hasn't been in particularly good form since since the US Open either really yeah I think what he brought to her table was the green light to just really play her game take mm. the ball early high risk um, take the time away and no doubts like like full commitment for her game style so listen, there's been so many weird coaching player partnerships that ended after like such a great year. It's beyond my understanding. And, you know, I just think uh, I would love behind the scenes for the WTA to collect a little data on understanding why these things happen when they do. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if she uh, remains as committed to that incredibly aggressive return position that she's had all year, which is basically sort of sabering <laughs> sabering uh sabering the return pretty consistently um j- just one matchup uh that the draw has has guaranteed to throw up in the group stages that i wanted to pick up on and that is coco goff and Iga Swiatek, who have played four times now um three of them in 2022 and Coco Goff is yet to get a set. Their last meeting was in San Diego. Pam, I know you spent a lot of time uh, in person going to that tournament. It was love and three for Svantec. Coco Goff is not getting close to Iga Svantec. And, you know, rivalries can evolve over time. Coco Goff is undoubtedly an improving tennis player. But if this is to be a rivalry... Yes, it's the R word. Uh, if this is to be a rivalry, how important is it that Coco Goff starts making progress in that dynamic, starts breaking down those those walls a little bit? Well, and I think these conditions are a good opportunity for Coco to at least have a more competitive match. I don't know how much Iga's inside her head. It's kind of the tale of two forehands, right? It's the best forehand in women's tennis by far, Sviantec, especially under pressure against a forehand that breaks down. And, you know, Iga's great at exposing people's uh, weaknesses. So we've seen that time and time again, whether or not the lower bouncing ball, you know, it kind of will be, I think, in a strike zone that uh, Coco Golf appreciates better. And also, being one of the more powerful servers, um, if not the most powerful server in the field, big servers love indoor conditions. They don't have to worry about the sun and the wind. I mean, San Diego w- was not the easiest of conditions to be a big server. I was surprised that scoreline. I did miss the match. Well, it was easy to miss. It was pretty quick. Um, but anyway, I, I do think this is a better chance for her to be competitive. And I do agree with you. If not this tournament, 
certainly in the next six months to 12 months, Coco Goff has to feel better when she walks out on the court, feel like she has a chance against Fiontech. Who do we have coming through these groups then? Fiontech? you want to go first, Matt? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> All right, I'll go first then. Yeah, I'll go with, um, let's see, I'll go with Fiontech and Goff. And I'll go, um, I'm just going to be boring. I'm going to go uh, two and three. So Jabour and Pagula, I, I think they're going to get through. Um, Sakari, I just don't have a lot of confidence that she can play this much good tennis to qualify for the semis. And Sabalenka, God bless her. I saw her strain a calf muscle in San Diego and still was able to just try to hang in there against Vekic in the quarters, lost in three sets. When you think about where she was in January, Sabalenka couldn't get a serve in the court, was underarm serving, crying. I thought she was having a breakdown and she needed to leave the tour for two months. And look what she's done. She's still been able to qualify for the last eight. I just can't see her, though, coming through to the semis. Yeah, I, th- I think if Sabalenka is having had quite a bad year and yet there she is in 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 the top eight. I, I, I have so much respect for what Arena Sabalenka has done this year she's done a lot of winning ugly which is not what I've traditionally associated her with at all I've thought of her as a if she's on she's on and she's unplayable and if she's not she's gonna lose you know love and two or something and she's kind of defied that this year in spite of herself and I think that's really impressive but I I tend to agree with you Pam I I, I definitely think Pagula's gonna come through that Nancy Ritchie group Jabur I'm gonna I'm going to take on board what you've said about the surface suiting her ground strokes. That that seems quite compelling. Um, and yeah, Coco Goff just looked, she looked beaming in that photo, didn't she? She's just, I don't know, just seems like a, seems pretty fun to be Coco Goff right now with everything that she's got going on and all the, all the pressure. She's playing singles doubles here. She's going to go play singles doubles at Billie Jean King Cup. Look, these are all fantastic things, but it's also a lot for an 18-year-old, and she seems to be finding a way to enjoy it. And uh, I think that's marvellous. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's tough to look beyond those top four, but then traditionally there are upsets. Um, I read some quotes from Martina Navratilova of uh, Pam Shriver, doubles partner fame, uh, talking about how she thinks that Ons Jabeur is the player with the most to prove in a way in this tournament because Sviontek has completely proved everything this year. I think there are some players that we've mentioned, Sakari, Sabalenka, probably Kasatkina as well, who just being at the WTA finals is a really impressive feat. But for someone like Jabur, who has made it clear that, you know, she wants to get world number one next year, she's she's laid that out and given given she's not really got any points on her ranking from the first three slams of the year, it might be doable. But she's only won one of her last seven matches against the top 10. And I think she probably needs to start stepping up against her biggest rivals. And this is maybe an opportunity in conditions which sound like they're going to suit her for her to do that. So absolutely fascinated to kind of see how how she plays this week. But yeah, I agree with you. I will go with the doubles partners, Goff, and Pagula and uh, Sviantec and, and Jabot. Well, one, one of the a general thing I was going to say about the field, in my experience of playing and then a, as a broadcaster and watching these things for not the whole 50 years of the event, but probably 40 of the 50 years, is this is a really inexperienced group in playing mm. the WTA Tour Finals. Four of them are debuting. 
Um, and even the ones who have played before have not, they're not like multi-year, they haven't played that many. So I think there's a lot of questions. Like this is, Indian Wells is big, Miami's big, Madrid's big, Rome. But let me tell you, this is, if there is a fifth major to the women, this is it. So there's going to be a fair few unknowns as well. Yeah, I mean, Shontek's the only Grand Slam champion in the field. And that's the first time it's happened at the WTA finals that there's only been one Grand Slam champion in the field. So yeah, just points to points to the inexperience, really. And also what happened with the rankings yeah, this year. And Ash Barty retiring. We're back <laughs> and Ash Barty retiring. It's been it's been a bit of a year, folks. It has. <laughs> um just in terms of the uh the doubles, Goff and Pagula have been drawn in the Rosie Casals group alongside uh, Krejcikova, Siniakova, Zhu and Yang and Kravchik and Scherz. That seems like a really tough group to me. Pam, your group, you've got Dubrovsky-Olmos, Kudamatova-Mertens. Kudamatova, of course, narrowly missed out on uh, qualifying in the singles. You've got Kitchenok and Ostapenko and you've got Dalin... Dalinina and Haddad Maya. Haddad Maya, who was also in with a shout of qualifying in singles as well. What do we see happening here? Are you feeling protective of your group, Pam? Yes. 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 Well, I am a little bit. Are we throwing impartiality out of the window here, Pam? I actually looked up your head to head with Rosie Casals and uh, your. <laughs> Look at you. Your one love up in that head to head. So whether, whether someone comes through the Pam Shriver group to take it, and we'll, and we'll count that as. Too love. Yeah, I think if um, I think the best, I, the two top seeds in my group, I saw almost and Drabalski get. They should have beaten Coco Golf and Pagula in San Diego. I watched that final. They are a really good team, coached by a good friend of mine, um, Dave, um, who coached the Brian Twins. Anyway, Kuder Matoba Mertens. We know how they can play. So I, I think it's pretty even. The two groups, I mean, obviously, I know the Czech team, they've they're been the informed team the last four years. Coco Goff and Pagula, they've got a pretty good chance to win it all. Um, I think they're well-balanced, and, and I just particularly love the names. <laughs> I particularly loved uh, Elaine Ostapenko's expression in the uh, iconic <laughs> doubles photo. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have words for it, but... Yeah, just look it up. I saw it. <laughs> uh, it uh, by the way, one, one thing I think is good to also mention is two countries, after 50 years of this event, two countries are making their debut, and that would obviously be Jabor bringing Tunisia in for the first time, and then Haddad Maya. Who was the, who picked Haddad Maya at Wimbledon to do... Oh, David. 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 I'm, ba- I'm glad you brought that up, Thank Pam. you for bringing that up, Pam. One of the best days of the year. <laughs> But Brazil is now represented, and and they've been a great tennis nation. You know, Maria Bueno, but obviously this event wasn't around when she was a great champion. Um, Obviously, on the men's side, they've been represented with Kirtan and others. So it's nice to see new countries represented. Yes, hear, hear. Uh, We will be back uh, with a podcast on Sunday to review the group stages and look ahead to the the semi-finals. And then you won't be able to get rid of us, folks, because we're pretty much daily from there on in. Monday, Tuesday, we'll be back to cover the semis and finals uh, from Fort Worth. We'll also be wrapping up the men's event in Paris and looking ahead 
to the ATP finals in Turin and we'll be starting dailies from the Billie Jean King Cup finals in Glasgow. So settle in for a lot of podcasts. Um, Let's take you to the ATP tour and the two events that we saw in the week just gone, one in Vienna and one in Basel. Uh, in Vienna, we had Daniil Medvedev beating Denis Shapovalov 4-6-6-3-6-2 in the final, which means that Daniil Medvedev has officially qualified for Turin. I'm not sure it ever felt particularly in, in doubt. I was actually surprised that he only officially qualified this week. But but there we go. Medvedev qualified for Turin. I, I watched this final team I um it was a pretty horrible start from Daniil Medvedev wasn't it lost the first set to Denis Shapovalov um but from there on in once he kind of clicked into gear um he was the superior player quite frankly and I I don't know there are signs that Shapovalov is finding a slightly more consistent um percentage style of play but maybe not enough signs I don't know I don't know. I find it very high. I know I sound down on Shapovalov, but it's because it's because I rode the hype train so hard in the early days, um, which is my own fault that uh, I, I, I feel, I don't know. He owes me nothing, but uh, but I've, I've, I've had such a readjustment of my expectations of him that, you know, I was surprised to see him reach the final this week. Glad to see it. He's, I love to watch him watch him play great tennis Pam what do you think well I think he's developing a pattern right he's developed he's developed a pattern of just he's going to have extreme highs and big time lows and when he's on a high playing his best tennis honestly if he hits it at the right time it's not impossible thinking forward in the coming years he he could strike it uh, and and win Wimbledon he got the semis a couple years ago he's got a game suited for grass I worry about the toss I mean I've seen some of the worst tosses coming from um, actually his right hand, sometimes where he has to like move to catch the toss. So that's always a concern to me and a sign of anxiety. He's got a temper that can sometimes get the better of him, but wow, when he's on, it's hard to take your eye off watching him play. Mm. Yeah. That's it, isn't it? That, that, that's why we get drawn in, isn't it? Because when he's on, it is an utterly irresistible sight and it you also have this anxiety in the pit of your stomach that oh god he's not going to be able to keep keep this up it just feels him being on feels so on edge somehow doesn't he and I remember sitting sitting watching one of his matches with you recently Matt I can't remember when we've had we've had the joy of watching so much tennis together this year but I remember you leaning over and saying he's just falling backwards on so many of his shots you're just like I can't get over that feeling of, you know, it's almost a sort of literal manifestation of how you feel while you're watching him, which is just, it's all precarious somehow. Yes, I think it was that uh, US Open epic he had with Rublev, which we watched on the on the grandstand court. And yeah, Shapovalov spends, I'm convinced he spends more time than, than any other tennis player with his feet off the court. You know, he's he throws himself into shots, but so often ends up ends up falling backwards. It's it's kind of astonishing to watch. And I think his development is going to be interesting because you don't you don't want him to lose that that special side of his game that he's got. And yet it does feel like for him to make a proper progression, he needs to slightly rein it in and become more consistent. And I think I think he did do a good job of that 
this week getting that balance right between the two I, I felt like he was a bit more disciplined but still coming up with the great shot making when he needed it and on the other side in the final I thought it was great to see Medvedev playing like that again he said he said that he was playing this week at a level that he'd been searching for for a long time and in my mind it it is really the start of the season when he was playing this well back in Australia I don't think we've seen Medvedev play that well since he obviously had the the hernia operation and he he had to miss Wimbledon so there have been lots of factors in Medvedev's year but I was really pleased to see him playing well again and it was a reminder of just how good he is because I watched him play team and I watched him play sinner and these guys who hit such a big ball they just couldn't couldn't get it past him because he covers the court so incredibly well we don't I don't always think of him as one of the best movers necessarily because he's not he's not explosive like Alcaraz and he's not perfectly balanced like Djokovic but he can cover the court as well as anyone I think especially on a hard court and then he can also just end points kind of at will with his own own power and he was serving a lot better this week until the final where it did it did let him down a bit to begin with but yeah generally I think Medvedev really playing well again and at a time of the year that he seems to always enjoy. Yeah, those angles that he finds, particularly on the backhand side where he seems to contort his body into just completely improbable positions in order to produce the shot. I've I've missed seeing those and I'm uh, I'm very glad to see them back. You mentioned Dominic Team there. I just wanted to pick up on him very quickly. Um lost out in the uh, round of 16 as you said to Dino Medvedev before that though. Had an incredible victory. 7-6 in the third over Tommy Paul. It just extremely emotional scenes on the centre court in Vienna, obviously his home tournament. It was it was it was a real kind of moment of reckoning, I think, for, for Dominic team of of what he's been through and how how hard it's been to, to get back to anywhere close to where he was before. Pam, you might have heard Matt on the podcast last week say he suddenly feels really confident about Dominic Team having a good 2023. And I got very excited hearing Matt say that because obviously Matt's never wrong. Can you um, can, can you add to my excitement? Do you feel the same? Do you feel like he's he's hitting the form now? He's getting he's getting there. He's getting there for sure. It's been great. Everyone loves a terrific comeback. We've seen so many great ones on both tours the last 10 or so years. Um, we've also seen some... You know, times where the conditions, the speed of play, the way a player hits the ball, whether it's Del Potro or even without the success, a player like CeCe Bellis, who just could not withstand, you know, physically sort of in their Achilles heel part of their body, whether it's the wrist or the elbow or, you know, so that's going to be the big question in 2023. Can he play this many matches? Um, Can he work his way back towards top 20? top 10 and stay healthy, but it was, it's been great to see his progression. And I think he's shown the patience and the, and, and the willingness to drop down. I think he and Stan played the same week, you know, a low level tournament. And then there they were last week in their home countries. Really these arenas were just as if major tennis was happening. And I mean, it was so exciting to see and feel and um, everyone, a lot of people are going to be cheering for team in 2023. Yeah, and Stan Marinka in Basel, he's back together with, with Magnus Norman. There were some 
very emotional quotes from Marinka about the, their reunion and the fact that he just wants to spend the twilight of his career with with the man that helped him to to the best moments of his career. They were really, really heartfelt quotes. And yeah, obviously, team hopefully is at a, a far earlier stage in, in his career than Stan Varinka is. But there was a similar feeling, exactly as you say, Pam, of, yeah, just recreating magic from both of them. O- over in Basel, Felix Auger-Aliassime won his third tournament on the bounce 6375 over over Holger Rune in the final that's a 13 match winning streak he's done the uh, indoor hard court Casper Rude treble <laughs> <laughs> um uh that's Florence Antwerp and Basel now he thrashed Carlos Alcaraz the world number 1 en route to the title it's hard to believe that this is a guy that just could not win a final he can win a set in a final Matt, less than a year ago, this is this is serious stuff from Felix Auger-Aliassime, with caveats that we were we were intensely discussing on WhatsApp yesterday. Pam, what does it mean? We always want we always want to get straight to what does it all mean? <laughs> yeah, and I think especially with a player like Felix Auger-Aliassime, whose potential is so obviously so high, you know, I think what does it mean chat is is quite exciting for a player like him um i've, I've been trying to work out whether this run is sort of giving contivate last year or whether it's <laughs> it's something else and i think i think it's something else and you know obviously contivate had that incredible run last year indoors that propelled her to the wta finals which is pretty much what ogelia seem is doing. He's not quite qualified yet, but he's he's very very likely to be in Turin. I just think it's different for Ogeliasim because of the fact that it's the finals record, as you said. You know, it wasn't that long ago he had a real problem in those biggest matches, and he's now won three in a row in three weeks, and he looks so much more confident, so much more secure in those big matches. And then also, we've never doubted the top level of Ogeliasim. I think when he's when he's absolutely on and his serve is firing, he can he can be brilliant. What we've struggled with is sometimes just he throws in a bad performance and can he win when he's not playing well? And I think this this run of three titles in three weeks, he just seems to have found a level of consistency that he's that he's never had before. He seems to have found a base level of game which is higher. And that that makes me feel just more confident about him generally. And I just think, obviously, the indoor conditions are a big factor. If we're throwing it ahead to slams, there are no slams on an indoor hardcore unless it's raining or whatever. But I think even then, it doesn't quite feel like an indoor event. um, So that'll be interesting. But I feel like this is a slightly different, improved Felix Ojaliasim. And I'm expecting him to step up next year you know I, I think this time of year is often hard to have a run and you know can you take it forward but I'm I'm feeling good about him I think I think there's been a change step up Matt is extremely vague <laughs> you're not going to get away with that step up to where I think he could be in the top five next year but I'm still not sure about whether he's going to go to a final or win a slam next year. I would still say no to that at this stage because of the caveats that we're putting on this run. But I think I think he's, yeah, I, I could see him being top five in the world next year. 
I heard a couple of things coming out of Labor Cup. I heard um, from one of the coaches of uh, Team World that Felix was just a sponge. And, you know, the way he played that final day that helped catapult, I know Tiafo was a huge part of it, but from what I understand, he came out of the Labor Cup and all the emotions and then being successful on the court the way he was with a new sense of belief. Um, so I think I, I think Australia is going to be huge for him uh, if he can carry this forward, um, because you're right. You know, his results in the majors two years ago was better, actually, than 2022. So that's not anything you enjoy when you're at the early phases. But I think he's Matt, you bring up a great point is great champions figure out how to win when they're not playing their best. And we still haven't seen that kind of wins in big moments from Felix uh, enough. Mm. 86 holds of serve in a row he's had now. That is that is a difference. You know, if, if he can get that serve firing, that is that is the foundation of his game. And, and I know we joke about the... Uh, the Kasparu's hat-trick of titles. But I think it was Tennis Channel actually uh, tweeted or, or, or displayed a graphic of men who have won three titles in three weeks over the last, I think it's 11 years, only been done three times. Felix now, Rude last year, and Andy Murray in, in 2011. Murray and Rude did build off that. Like Murray in 2011 then went into 2012 and had like his breakthrough year, winning his first major, getting into the Wimbledon final, winning the gold medal. Rude, obviously we know what he's done this year, reaching two major finals. Like, it's a big deal, I think, to win three titles in a row, no matter the level. Obviously, Rude's were all at 250, so we sort of had a bit of a joke about that. But Auger-Aliassime now is one of 500, as well as a couple of 250s. Like, it's just, there's just a resilience, a consistency that I think he hasn't shown before. And... That's why that's why it feels different to me than some of the other runs that we've seen from players during this sort of time of year. And and we'll really have have laid some some ghosts to rest. Mm. I think about that that finals record. I, I, I think we said it last week, didn't we? We we've, we've had weekly Felix Auger-Aliassime <laughs> chat of late, uh, but given how bad that record was and how poorly he'd been performing in finals, it probably took more than one final win to really uh, knead out that scar tissue. But that seems to be gone now. And that unde- undoubtedly is a, it's a big step forward for Roger Lissim. And yeah, starting next year is going to be fascinating. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, as you say, Matt, Augelisi isn't officially qualified for Turin, but it is looking likely. I'm not, I'm not going to do all the scenarios uh, because it'd be boring. Because there are quite a few of them, uh, but but Paris is going to be interesting for for a number of reasons. Firstly, as we just said, the the race for those final places in Turin is still alive, and secondly, because both Nadal and Djokovic are back. And they're back in the same half of the draw. Uh, they've got buys in the opening round, obviously. Matt, thank you for writing uh, eye roll into the agenda there. Because, uh, Pam, we've got a motion to get rid of buys. Yay or nay? Ooh, I, I was playing when they brought them in. And basically it was trying to give top players just that little bit of a break one less match and hopefully that would make them play one or two more tournaments in the course of the year i totally understand that but i agree especially during this COVID era we need more playing opportunities and there's tons of players that would love the buys and listen you don't i don't think top players necessarily like playing a player who's already played a match under those conditions so i can see it either way tennis 
make it so. And we all know, you know, the wheels of, of change in tennis turn so quickly that I, I expect <laughs> that adjustment to be made straight away. Uh, yeah, Djokovic and Nadal buys in the opening round. Uh, but Djokovic will play the winner of Cressy and Schwartzman. And Nadal will play the winner of Tommy Paul uh, against Roberto Bautista. A good. I was surprised to see Nadal playing in Paris. He's there. He's been practicing. It's brilliant, but it it surprised me, Matt. It surprised me too, and and he's been there a while. I think he arrived, you know, last week. He's been practicing with lots of different players, and I I, I do think that Djokovic and Nadal sort of making their return. Obviously, Nadal's is he's, he's been out longer. Injects some real intrigue into Paris, and in that sometimes it feels like a real slog. Paris to get through to the end of the season and. You know, there have been some slightly strange additions of that tournament. I think this one, there's obviously lots of players who still have a bit of a chance of trying to get to the ATP finals. And then Nadal and Djokovic are back. Alcaraz has maybe got a, you know, a little tiny small point to prove indoors uh, this time of year. He's trying to finish the year number one. There's there's a lot of different storylines, which I think maybe sometimes Paris hasn't hasn't always had. And yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. What about the dads? What about the new dads? You get Medvedev winning his mm. first tournament, having just had a baby. I think Rafa needed to get some sleep. He needed to get out of Majorca, <laughs> get to Paris early. Um, He's having a back- holiday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I mean, obviously, it was stressful. His uh, Maria's pregnancy, and um, you know, maybe, maybe this is exactly what uh, Rafa needs although um you know i don't think these indoor conditions have ever been its favorite obviously yeah and it's interesting that we, we're um we're kind of seeing similar from carlos alcaraz aren't we he's got learning to do on uh on indoor hard courts for sure like his his billy jean has just made a very dramatic entrance to the podcast <laughs> folks that's why i'm somewhat distracted yes hello hello making <laughs> my face um yeah, Carlos Alcaraz learning to do on an indoor hard court. Well, you know, it, let me just say, as, as it's good to see Billie Jean, even if on a Zoom call. But, uh, you know, indoors, it's tough because they are really different conditions. And, and we know that he would have trained in Spain most of the time outdoors. And so indoors is definitely a learning opportunity for someone like Alcaraz. And he probably, I don't know what his indoor overall record is, but I'm sure he he hasn't played that much at the highest level. There are two single spots remaining for Turin. Uh, Ogelia-Sim and Rublev are very much in pole position to qualify. The only way Ogelia-Sim won't qualify, even if he loses opening match in Paris, is if Taylor Fritz wins the title and defeats Rublev in the semi-finals. So look, that's a very specific scenario that has to play out for Ogelia-Sim not to qualify. Uh, Fritz and Hercatch are still in with a chance, but they need to make at least the final to have a chance. Um, and I think all four of them are in the same half of the draw, aren't they? Uh, Fritz could play Felix in round three and Hercatch could play Rublev uh, also in round three. We've got a round one between Andy Murray and Gilles Simon, who in fabulous Matt Stat news, uh, have both had retirement ceremonies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Murray's at and the 2019 are, Australian going. Open and Gilles Simon's at the French Open this year. 
Yes, and th- but this is officially well, we, Simon's last well, tournament. Is it? I, I'm, I've stopped trusting retirements, <laughs> Matt. Is it actually Gilles Simon's last tournament? I, I am led to believe that this is actually his last right. tournament. We won't see him popping up in a doubles Grand Slam <laughs> final in a matter of weeks. Kirsten Flipkin style. Um, okay, well that could be that could be scenes in Paris. Uh, one final note uh, on that tournament: a stat from Mike Dixon, who says that since the ATP Masters level was introduced in 1990, this will be the first time that four British men are straight into the main draw without going through qualifying or receiving wild cards. That's from uh, the Daily Mail. Murray, Draper, Norrie, and Evans are all top 50 players um we've had other bits and bobs of news this week in the tennis world that i i just wanted to touch upon uh with you both we have had the official announcement um many weeks after the unofficial announcement of the united cup uh which is kind of a a rebrand a reimagination of what was the atp cup uh it's now a united atp and WTA Cup, a team competition at the start of the year uh, with teams from 18 countries competing uh, in three cities, Brisbane, Perth and Sydney, over 11 days from Thursday the 29th of December because obviously the 2023 season has to start in 2022 because tennis (laughs) uh, until Sunday the 8th of January. $15 million dollars in prize money you've actually written 15 dollars in prize money matt but um i'm 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 pretty confident that's a typo you're a pro um 500 points up for grabs the first 12 countries will qualify via the six highest ranked number one players that enter on both the ATP Tour and the WCA Tour. The remaining six countries will qualify according to their best combined ranking of their respective number one men's and women's players. Uh, Teams will feature three to four players from each of the WTA and ATP Tour. Each city will host two groups of three countries competing in a round-robin format with ties comprising two ATP and two singles matches and one mixed doubles match. Each city final winner will advance to the United Cup Final Four in Sydney uh, from the 6th to the 8th of January, with the next best-performing team from the group stages completing the quartet. Um David uh, has been chatting to Stephen Farrow, formerly Queen's Tournament Director, now uh, prominent uh, at Tennis Australia, who's been leading on the United Cup and got a bit of background from him on it all. And it's not been easy to get to this stage, folks. This has taken work. It's taken compromise. It's taken a real commitment uh, and motivation to make this happen. Uh, Tennis Australia says they've had their work cut out because the ATP Cup was a big deal to them and they're rolling out their 30-year strategy, uh, which didn't feature this event. I didn't realise anybody had a longer-term strategy than David Law, but it turns out uh, Tennis Australia do, 30 years. Um, 
And and it, it, the United Cup originally didn't feature in that, although he says working more closely with other governing bodies was in that strategy. Uh, meanwhile, the WTA are focused on the CVC investment discussions, which is this um, private equity firm that are interested in partnering on the brand side of the WTA. Um, and this event was not on their agenda either, certainly not for 2023. So... It's been a big push to get this across the line. It's a big statement for the sport. Player reaction apparently has been really positive. Not everyone will play, they say, but most will. Um, And ideally, there would be a lot more time to build the event and promote it to players, fans, sponsors, broadcasters. A two-month lead-in is not anybody's dream scenario, but it's happening. And the event hopefully will have time to grow and evolve. Pam? United Cup, what do we think? Yeah, I'm, I'm all in on it. I feel the Hopman Cup having played it once, my partner was John McEnroe, having watched it. And we all, I, I remember the last point of the mixed doubles when the Hopman Cup was put to bed. I think it was Kerber, Germany, in, in this unbelievable mixed doubles rally against Federer in Switzerland. It was like one of the great match point rallies of all time. I remember thinking how sad that this mixed team event was going away. I'm glad it's coming back. I've talked to just a few players. The guaranteed matches at the beginning of the year is such an important thing. And this type team competition sort of guarantees you a certain amount of matches that if you're playing a tournament and you lose first round, you only get the one match. So I think I think players are all in on this. Yeah, look, I think we are too, Matt, right? I mean, it's it's tennis actually being united. (laughs) You know, it's not just a it it. It's not just a slogan or a hashtag. This is tennis properly being united for once. And I'm sure it won't be perfect. They're not expecting it to be perfect, as I've just said. You know, two-month lead-in, it's not ideal for anybody. But it it just makes me happy. It really makes me happy that this is happening. Yeah, me too. I was I was really sad when the Hotman Cup ended, like like Pam was, and this is kind of like an an enhanced version of the Hotman Cup, I suppose, in that it's, you know, there's points on offer, there's bigger prize money, and hopefully everyone will be all in on it. And, yeah, it's such an advantage that, that tennis has over other sports that the women's game is right there with the men's game, and it just hasn't capitalised on that over the years, particularly over the last few years with getting rid of the Hotman Cup. So this is a big big statement and yeah I'm excited for this first edition but mostly I'm excited for you know the way it can grow and what it can be in in a few years time hopefully. Matt you make such a great point this is what makes tennis distinctive is men and women competing at the highest level a lot of weeks the four majors you know the other combined events now this mixed team event so we we need to as a sport play to our strengths and what separates us from other sports. Yeah, other sports are looking at tennis desperately trying to make up the ground in inequality, right? In in sh- in stage sharing, and tennis has this forty year head start on everybody else that it's been doing its best to throw away over the last few years. But I really hope this is a signal that we're that we're back on track. And in other um, tennis collaboration news, the ITF, the ATP. And Cosmos Tennis have announced a partnership supporting the Davis Cup. This is 
I know this isn't sexy news. It's kind of, you know, the inner workings of, of the sport, but it's important, you know, this kind of collaboration, tennis acting as one, it's important. The new partnership has been established to enable strategic collaboration on the Davis Cup's gov- the Davis Cup's governance and evolution, with the ATP granted two of six seats on the newly formed Davis Cup event committee alongside the ITF and Cosmos. The partnership officially brings the ITF and the ATP together across the Davis Cup for the first time in history in a combined effort to maximise the success of the historic team competition as the Men's World Cup of Tennis. The Davis Cup finals and qualifier ties now become an official part of the 2023 ATP Tour calendar, taking place in weeks 5, 37 and 47 with increased promotion on ATP channels. This integration will support players in planning their annual schedule when selected to play in their National Davis Cup team. The finals will continue under its existing format, offering $15 million in player prize money in 2023. Alleluia. So I love I love this collaboration and the signs, whether it's the United Cup or this partnership, ITF, ATP, you know, there's the mental health um, seminar that started at the U.S. Open that brought the T7, all of the seven entities together. There are some really positive signs for better collaboration. And again, in order to compete against other sports and everything else, this has to happen. I'm happy to see it. Here, here. Pam, I know you've got to go and do some parenting in a moment um, and then head into Tennis Channel and do your day job. We're very grateful for your time. Just one thing I wanted to to touch upon with you very quickly before you do have to go, and that is that it's six months on from your podcast that we recorded in Indian Wells six months ago. Um, how is the landscape looking to you? How, In terms of what you talked about and the situation in 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 modern tennis as you see it what developments have there been how do you feel about the landscape now well um as you mentioned earlier in the pod tennis doesn't come about change very quickly um if you told me we'd be on the eve of november 1st and the director of safeguarding a position that was posted at Roland Garros for the WTA, a director of safeguarding still would not be hired. I would have said then there's no way they'll get it figured out. And and that that person will be in place well ahead of November 1st. So that's a little disappointing, but I'm kind of like making my own inroads here and there with players. I thought what Vika Azarenka did at the U S open by talking about safeguarding in her press conference after she had a win at the U S open to tackle such an issue in the middle of a major was really good and got to speak to her afterwards. That kind of led me to wanting to make some connections with some players on the player council. Since Vika sort of said, this is like one of our top priorities is to have better safeguarding and we're pushing for it. So that's actually why I originally drove down to San Diego. Well, it's in my area, but I wanted to meet with players like Donna Vekic and Pagula was down there and other players in the player council and it kind of led to an interesting situation there because uh, Beckett and I got talking about, you know, a little bit of safeguarding, but more about her tennis. And then the next thing you know, she goes on a run. Um, but an interesting thing for me in 2023 is I may occasionally dip my toe into the coaching realm and be on inside the ropes. And I actually 
kind of think that's a good thing. That's like something I've thought about and like, yeah, why not? And then, you know, I can have even a better understanding of what goes on. I've already sent uh, the inquiry to the WTA. If I'm going to be a coach in 2023, is there some safeguarding um, courses? Is there some credentialing that I need to do licensing, kind of like pushing the issue that I've been saying? So to be able to do it uh, from a part-time basis next year, I think is a great opportunity um, for me on many levels. Have you agreed to become David Law's official coach? Because he, he does need it, Pam. Is that is no. that what you're announcing? No, I'm not. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to try and help players with a little more potential than David. <laughs> <laughs> what a note to end on. Um, Pam, I can't wait to see you inside the ropes. Well, that sounds really, that's really exciting. More, more will be revealed. We're not, not okay. quite sure, but we're having conversations about it. Um, looking okay. forward to it. Thank you. Well, look, we will um, we will keep in touch on that, and look, we will keep. We've just got to keep the issue in the spotlight, haven't we? Yes, that, that's yes. it, and that's that's exactly what Azarenka did at the U.S. Open, isn't it? She she brought it to everyone's attention, and she made it impossible to ignore. And just got to keep keep plugging away. And look how many people help, uh, have pushed that terrible video that came out of Serbia on the weekend. With a, with a, evidently the stories coming out, it was the player's father that was abusing physically and in public on a tennis court. And people are like sharing that video left, right, and center. So social media can help bring this issue. I got, immediately got touch with the, the legal side of the ITF, made sure that the ITF saw that on the weekend. So, you know, we all got to help on this. Keep doing what you're doing, Pam. And, um, uh... Thanks, as always, for talking to us about it, for giving us your time, for wearing a tennis podcast sweatshirt while you're doing it. <laughs> Thank you. We love it, Pam. Thank right. you. Take and care. we will speak Thanks, to you Pam. very soon. Matt, I have uh, I have one. Uh, I have, well, we have a couple of bits and bobs still to uh, to wrap up. I wanted to just touch upon the news that Sven Grunewald and Bianca Andreescu have split. And it was Grunewald that announced this on his Instagram and the wording was, was very particular. He said, after more than a year of coaching Bianca, I have decided not to extend our collaboration. I'm keen on new challenges in the men's or women's game. Wishing Bianca and her team great success going forward. Uh, Sven Grenevelt also retweeted an article by Stephanie Miles, the Canadian journalist, reporting on how Andrescu had agreed to share her physical trainer, Abdul Silla, with Naomi Osaka without telling the rest of her team. Uh, it didn't work very well and appears to have been the trigger for Matthias Nugabar, her physical um, physiotherapist and osteopath, leaving the team after Wimbledon and now Grunewald as well. Um, David asked Sven about it and he said, the article gives you a window to the to the environment that was created. I won't say anything else to this particular case. However, unfortunately, in our tennis community, we have many people that work with the purpose of abusing their position of power. Now, that's both sort of worrying and and vague, very difficult to know what to do with that. This isn't a situation that I was aware of until now. I'm sad for Bianca Andreescu that this partnership has ended because there finally seemed to be some real signs of improvement. I was really pleased that they had really stuck together 
through a time when I think a lot of other coaching partnerships would have dissolved. I mean, he stuck with her when she wasn't playing, when she took some time off for her for her mental health, didn't she? And she was very, um, when she came back, she was very heartfelt in her thanks to, to her team for really sticking by her throughout that period. So I don't know. I, I don't really know any more details than everything I've just read out there. But this this makes me a bit sad. Yeah, it does me too. And I think we're obviously still waiting for Andrescu's side of of the events I think she hasn't she hasn't given that yet um but yeah it is sad because I think finally there was some real it seemed like there was some real stability and that's been a word that's just been totally missing for Bianca Andrescu over the last couple of years of course she made her her breakthrough in 2019 and then had to deal with both injuries and also uh, the COVID break just coming right there and then, and she hasn't she hasn't been able to have a run at things really because of all those all those issues. And it felt like this partnership with Sven Grunewald was that bit of stability that maybe maybe she needed. And yeah, we we spoke didn't we last week about how we were hopeful for her in 2023 because her her tennis was looking was looking pretty good again. Um, so yeah, it is a big. Big shame, but I'm sort of still waiting to hear Andrescu's side of things, I suppose. Mm. Must be tough going into the... Must change all your off-season plans. Mm. Presumably you have a sort of a schedule and a plan in mind, particularly for her who, I don't know, feels like a very critical off-season for for Bianca Andrescu. But look, coaches are going to become available, aren't they? If we know anything about the off-season, it's that... Coaches will become available. Well, it, it does seem like the coaching carousel, as as it always gets called, has started early this year because, yeah, there's there's this one, there's uh, Tursunov going to, to Benchik and there's uh, Bertrand Perret leaving leaving Garcia that we spoke about. A lot of a lot of coaching sort of upheaval and it's not even the end of the season yet. Mm, and so it begins, folks. Um, and so it ends, I think, for us. We've somehow managed to get through the uh, the many, many, many agenda points uh, for this week's podcast. Got a few bits of housekeeping for you, though. Very important bits of housekeeping. Um, we have a winner in our Billie Jean King Cup finals competition, especially for friends of the tennis podcast. And that winner is Andrew David. Uh I'm sure David would say great name if he were here. Andrew has very kindly gifted his prize of two tickets to the semi-finals day in Glasgow accommodation and return flights to his nephew Max and his partner Daniela. Uh, So thanks to the ITF for the prize and Max and Daniela have a lovely, lovely time. Uh, we also have a Wilson competition for our Instagram followers on the go at the moment. Prize package of a Wilson Ultra racket, a Wilson rucksack and a tennis podcast hoodie uh, as modelled by Pam Shriver only moments ago. <laughs> Matt managed to get a, a screenshot of Pam showing up to record the podcast in tennis podcast merch. What is life? <laughs> um, so all of that is being given away to one lucky uh, Instagram followers, so get yourself over to our Instagram account before Friday, the fourth of November. It's at the Tennis Podcast, and the link is also in our show notes. We have uh, a double mascot trouble 
this week, folks. Uh, it's Eli and Violet, two cats owned by Kathy Cantwell. They are litter mates who were rescued from a colony of feral cats 17 years ago. They're looking in very fine fettle for 17-year-olds. Kathy and her husband adopted them from a foster parent and then when they were about 10 weeks old. They're senior citizens now and spend most of their days and nights sleeping. Now, I don't know which one is Eli and one is Violet. One is long-haired and one is short-haired. The short-haired one has quite the energy (laughs) about him slash her. Uh, it's a very uh, Elena Ostapenko bad call, uh, bad line call, facial expression that that cat is giving off, and I like it. So thank you to Eli and Violet and to Kathy for bringing Eli and Violet into our lives. Uh, pictures of them uh, will be in our newsletter this week, as will Matt Stat and all the usual funds. So make sure you subscribe to that. We've got our mascots. David's got Darwin. Uh, I've got Carter. Matt's got the dearly departed Gerald. Did anybody get points last week, Matt? No, tough week for all of us last week. My prediction lost to Grigor Dimitrov. That's that is a bad week, isn't it? <laughs> Who did you have? Who did Dimitrov beat? Rublev. Oh, mm. I mean, I had great for Grigor, mm. but he hasn't great. been winning ma- winning many matches lately. And no. honestly, him being in Rublev's path factored into my prediction, so I got that horribly wrong. Uh, Billie Jean, who made a very brief and dramatic cameo in this week's <laughs> podcast. Sorry for that. She's sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Uh, our executive producers and top blokes are Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner. And Matt, we have shout outs. We do, yes. And we've been doing some admin this week and lots of new shout outs have come flooding in, which means that from now until the end of the year, we're up to five shout outs per show. So I'm going to I'm going to rattle through. Oh, (laughs) okay. We've got Laurie Porter from Wimbledon. Oh, Wimbledon. Great. Both a Tennessee location and down the road from me Mm, and me. Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, thank you, Laurie. I don't think there are any tennis lorries, are there? No, I don't no. think so. No. I've got a cousin, Laurie. Although I think he's rebranded as Lawrence. Anyway, <laughs> as a child, he was Laurie. Wow, okay, I'm taking that in. I would have felt you would go the other way. You would rebrand yeah, as he, Laurie. He, 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 Lawrence on the birth certificate, Laurie as a child, oh. and then, yeah, there you go. Nothing, nothing happened via deed poll or anything. No. Nothing dramatic. Yeah. Just when you decided you wanted to be called, what was it? Kathy with an IE. Kathy with an IE. That was it. Mm. That was your rebrand. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes did a little heart on the eye. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Laurie. We've also got Eric Skirmahorn from New York, another oh. tennis location. Yes. Are they all going to be tennis locations? Well, no. Uh, we'll say thank you to Eric and we will we will move on to Anthony Bonici in Malta. Oh, goodness me. Hang on. Um, maybe we should... All I had... I had Eric Buterak for yes. Eric. Mm, yes, me too. Yeah. Uh, Anthony... Uh, Anthony uh, Wilding. Who's that? That comes from spending time in the Wimbledon Library. He won very early editions of Wimbledon, was a great player from New Zealand. 
but uh, oh. died very young in World War One, I, I believe. Gosh, mm. gosh. Okay, thank you, Anthony. Uh, possibly our first yeah. Maltese shout out. I think so. We've also got Karen Savani in Greece. Oh, the, these are good names. Hello, Karen. Presumably supporting Maria Sakkari this week mm. in uh, in Fort Worth. Probably got very excited about the start of the year uh, at the start of the year, Matt, when you <laughs> predicted big Greek things for 2023. Apologies, Karen. Yeah, sorry, Karen. For, for Matt's mouth writing mm. checks that neither Maria Sakkari nor Stefanos Tsitsipas could cash. Yes, I think it's been a strong podcast, but the worst line of it was Matt's never wrong because definitely, definitely am. As Karen can attest to, and Zachary. I was, and trying, to, I was trying to make you look good in front of Pam Shriver, Matt. <laughs> and last shout out is for Bev Neal in Bournemouth. Hello, Bev. My old hairdresser was called Bev. Oh, what happened to Bev? Oh, I, I, d- you just, just moved on. You know, just it was when I was a kid. She used to come oh. to the house and do my mum and me and occasionally my brother if he could stoop <laughs> stoop to it. There wasn't an incident. No, there was no, no. incident. Good. Okay. No. Well, this Bev says that her two very best, closest friends these days were people she met in the Wimbledon queue in the mid-80s, which is that lovely. That is lovely. Oh, oh, Bev, I absolutely love that. Thank you. Uh, well, lovely note to end on thank you bev thank you to Ooh, all of our shout outs oh, today I thought you were going to go through them <laughs> <laughs> oh hang on okay now you've tested me uh we've got bev we've got karen uh we've got eric we've got anthony and we've got who was our first one who was the, the first one laurie there it is. There we go. I did it. Uh, if you would like to get yourself a shout out or an intro on the tennis podcast, or if you'd like a pet mascot or anything like that, uh, those will come up for grabs again uh, for 2023 at the start of December. So become a friend of the tennis podcast. The link is in our show notes. It is always open. Uh, but yes, those slots reset at the start of 2023. So lots more will be up for grabs. David will be back for our next podcast, which comes to you on Sunday. And from then on in, it is Tennis Podcast Central, folks. You will be sick of the sound of us in a couple of weeks' time. So uh, we'll let you have a little break, muster up some energy for a, a big few weeks of tennis to come at the end of the season. We will speak to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. 
Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.